Ladies and gentlemen, we have a treat today. Jen Sinchiro is here today on the Rise Together podcast. She's the number one New York Times bestselling author, a success coach, a motivational cattle prod who's helped countless people transform their personal and professional lives with her products, her speaking, her newsletters, her seminars, her books, her mere existence on the planet. She's a sought-after speaker. She has a signature brand of motivational comedy. Everyone from women entrepreneurs to multinational corporations have benefited from. Her number one New York Times bestseller, it's called You Are a Badass, How to Stop Doubting Your Greatness and Start Living an Awesome Life. It's sold more than 3 million copies. It's available in more than 35 languages, and it has built a whole brand of badassery, as it were, and all of the work that she's doing to convince you to believe in yourself. What would the world look like if we all pushed ourselves to have candid conversations with people who didn't look like us, think like us, or live like us? I'm Dave Hollis, and I'm on a mission to learn more about this world by meeting more of the people who live here. You may not always agree with everything you hear, but I guarantee you'll come away more informed on topics you might never have thought to seek out before. This isn't just a podcast, it's a community. And when we raise each other up, we all rise, together. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the one, the only, Jen to the show. Welcome, Jen. Thanks for having me. That was a bitchin' intro. Well, I like to give a bitchin' intro, especially, I mean, off, off camera, off audio, I mentioned, like, I have been a fan of your work. I feel like I know you because the way that you storytell brings people into a conversation in a way that makes them believe that they are, in fact, already your best friends. So the fact that we get to sit here on the Zoom, have a conversation, get to know each other in real time. Uh, it's awesome. It also feels like uh, I already know who you are, but I tried to introduce you. I don't want to, for anybody who does not know you yet, think that my words are enough. Would you, in your own words, tell a little bit about who you are, what you do, why you do it to catch anything that I may have missed? Well, let's see. <laughs> I guess, I guess the only thing that was not in that intro was that, you know, I went from being extremely broke and living in a one-car converted garage in my 40s to, you know, making seven figures and helping other people figure out how to change their financial realities as well as what other, you know, whatever part of their reality they want to change because I've been there too and it felt impossible and um, I did it. So if I can do it, I really believe anybody can. It's such an interesting thing. I, like, I'm so on this train right now. I was doing a coaching over the weekend, and one of the people inside of the group was kind of complaining-ish about their feeling like because they were already a certain age, that they just didn't feel like they had the capacity to have the kind of impact that they should have, or they had some regret for not having figured stuff out earlier. And I, I found this list of people who, you know, Julia Childs, first cookbook, 50 years old. Uh, you know, Ray Kroc invented McDonald's at 59, you know, I, a whole host of, you know, people who've had just indelible imprints on the world, yourself included, found this at a state in life where some people may say, man, I don't know if I still have it in me or still have an ability to make an impact. And that's right. just a lie. I mean, your, your story certainly right. is a testament to that. I love how we're ageist with ourselves. 
right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Didn't the Kentucky Fried Chicken guy, like, in his 70s? He was, like, 69. I looked that oh. one up, too. The Colonel yeah. franchise. The Colonel. AFC, the Colonel did it, guys. You can 69. do it. 69. Right. Well, so, like, what was it? Because here you found yourself, as you say, converted to garage, playing in a band, flat broke. What was the first step that you took to actually building the life that you have today? Really, the first step was deciding to get rich. And I say, I, I really want to stress that because it's such a loaded thing to do. Uh, you know, telling everybody that you're going to go lose 35 pounds is one thing, but being like, hey, I'm going to get real rich this year, that's controversial, right? We immediately go to, you are going to compromise your morals. You're going to be a sellout. Like we've all got so much garbage, especially, you know, on top of financial stuff that uh, I think it's very brave to make the decision to make money because it brings up a lot of stuff in yourself and other people. Yeah. Well, I mean, but just the idea of financial freedom, separate from the taboo uh, that may have existed because of your family of origin or societal norms or whatever it might be, financial freedom is a thing that I hope everyone who's listening has some desire to create in a way that they ought not feel bad about it because of what it unlocks in being able to fully deploy the gifts that you have inside of you and take care of your family the way you'd like and be freer from the anxiety or worry. But there's a lot of work left to do inside of society to unwrap the way that we've been taught to think about abundance or freedom that might come from finances. It's a little nuts. It's a lot nuts. I know it's been, you know, money is the tool of exchange that we use on planet earth. So I don't know where it got such a bad rap from, you know, seriously. I mean, people do horrible, unspeakable things for and with money, but they also do glorious, amazing things, you know, of with course. money. So I don't know why we focus on the greedy fatheads instead of the people who are changing the world with it. So let me ask, the, the 2013 book, was this in and around this time of transitioning from a life you had to a life that you have? Was that the tipping point? Were there things that happened before You Are a Badass came out? Or was that like something that happened? Yeah. Yeah. Well, seems so long ago. I can't even remember what I did last week. Okay, 2013. Yes, I had started making real money in my life. I had become a coach. I had been coached. I, you know, had been studying all of these concepts for years and years and years. So I was on my way. I hadn't yet hit seven figures, but I was well on my way. And so the whole impetus for writing You Are a Badass was, you know, I read every single self-help book under the sun. That was the second thing I did after deciding to make money. (laughs) And so many of them were so magnificent and just absolutely changed my life. But I don't think any of them were funny. And I don't, think, you know, a lot of them had stories in them, but, you know, I wanted sort of more of a rock and roll, funny, story-laden, and also very boiled down and to the point. I'm super impatient. I just want the damn information so I can get on with my life already. So yep. those, those were the things that I wanted to bring to that genre of writing. And, you know, and I was a writer long before I was a coach or any of this stuff. So I always, every time I read something, I'm like, I could write that. That's where that came By the from. way, though, I mean, like your voice in the book is what makes the book the book and like trusting that intuition, trusting to stay true to that voice and not necessarily have to morph the stories that you wanted to tell and the hope for help that you wanted to afford 
into the model, into the way that people had traditionally represented these tools in every other great personal development book that existed is part of why it ends up standing out. I think that is a lesson for me and frankly for any listener, you have a unique set of gifts. You have a unique voice and staying true to that voice is the thing that will likely set you aside and apart from anyone else who's trying to serve because you can hear the same message over and over, but it's the time that you hear it from the voice that speaks most to you. And I know for me with your work, I am a person who digs humor. I am someone who likes some irreverence. I don't like what sometimes can feel like a little bit of righteousness in some of what I consume inside of the personal development space and the permission to laugh a little bit at ourselves and, and take it, yes, seriously, but not that seriously, is part of what allowed me to step into it more fully because of the, the difference in the voice that you bring to it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that, that was definitely part of it. But I will say, just for everybody listening, you know, it wasn't, I didn't get there immediately. And I really want to encourage you guys, like, when... If I can make this short, let me think I can get there. But I, so when I first started making money, what I did was I started an online business and I knew nothing about online marketing and I thought it was so cheesy and, you know, and there was a very tested and tried and true way to do online marketing. You know, it's like, do you wish you could write a book? Do you need some help? Here's my three ways to tell you how to get that book out of your body onto the page, you know, whatever which all seems so cheesy to me. And I remember in the beginning, and, and I was working with a coach who was helping me in the beginning. I was like, oh, this is so not my authentic voice, but this works, so I'm going to do it. And it was only through getting in the game and doing what worked and bringing my own voice in that I found a way to make it really authentic and make it work. So yeah. You know what I mean? So I think a big, a big reason for procrastination in the beginning is it's not authentic. It's not the perfect headshot for my website. It's, it's not A, B, C, or D. It's like, just get started. And then you will slowly start to make it your own. I tend to worry, oh, is it perfect? And, and, and done is better than perfect for sure has been a mantra in pushing into these new spaces for me. And guess what? You get immediate feedback. It's not like you're not going to hear right. immediately from anyone and everyone how they right. feel about what you've done. And some people don't want to put themselves out for the feedback because, man, no one likes to hear they didn't get it right right away. But it's the only way that I've found that I'm never going to get better is by throwing it out there even when it's not yet perfect so that I can, over time, tweak and make the adjustments to what people are telling me they're actually responding to. So yeah. get, it, get it out there. I completely agree with that. Yeah. Uh, one of the things about your approach to habit building that I think is super, super unique is the idea of tying identity to habits. Okay. I hope that you can talk a little bit about where that comes from, how it works. I found it to be true in my own life, but uh, I love the way that you talk about it. Thank you. Yeah, I was really excited because I, you know, before I started really studying habits and researching this book, we all tend to think of our habits as what we do. You know, we floss our teeth, we make our bed, we go for a five mile run. And it is obviously what we do, but the thoughts, beliefs, and words, and therefore identity that we create around this new habit are equally, if not more important than the actions we take. And they obviously influence the actions we take. So I was really excited to get super involved in, in, in getting clear on how you shift your identity around this habit. So a quick example would be, you know, when I quit smoking, which was really one of my favorite habits, which I will start again when I'm 85. Can't wait to be 85. <laughs> but I have a deep love of smoking cigarettes and a deep disgust. 
But I had tried to quit a zillion times. And when I finally gave it up for good, it was because I had shifted my identity around smoking where I no longer identified as, as an ex-smoker who was trying to quit, but I identified as somebody who took great care of her body who had pink healthy lungs. I didn't even bring the smoking into my identity. And so when you think about this and in, and, and badass habits, I, I, I walk you through sort of a, a drill on how to the specifics around how to shift your habit, your identity. But what that does is if you think about it, like somebody who takes great care of her body, who has pink, healthy lungs, when you're out for a cigarette, I mean, when you're out for, see, when you're out for a drink with your friends, uh, you know, two weeks after you've quit smoking and the urge comes up to have a cigarette, you don't get into the negotiation process with it, right? You're not like, well, what's one cigarette tonight going to do? It's not going to kill me. If you're somebody who takes great care of her body, who has pink, healthy lungs, you don't even enter into that negotiation any more than you would enter into negotiating whether or not to have a bottle of vodka for breakfast, if that's not who you are. You know, it really helps you stay away from the deadly negotiation that is the crack in the fortress that just, you know, opens up the floodgates. Oh man, I, I so resonate with it. I, I've been in this last year really connected to a very simple math equation in my own life, which is an if-then statement, right? Mm. If I say I'm going to be this person, then I need to embody these kind of habits or this kind of routine regularly to create integrity between who I show up as today and who I'd hope to be uh, you know, in, in my life, uh, five years from now, the vision of who I'm hoping to become. And as much as it's simple, of course, there's a causal relationship between the person yeah. we say we are and the way that we have to act, the simplicity of writing them down. If I want this, then I have to do that has been life-changing. Right? And that's the thing that's just so almost insulting about all this work is it actually is, it takes what, three minutes to write that list? And it'll change your life. So I love that. I think yeah. That's great. Well, what's interesting too, just even in your example of having the cigarettes, if you've already changed the identity of who you are, your healthy, pink, healthy lungs, the place where my shame lives, the place where my confidence gets compromised, the place where I second guess myself or feel anything that isn't the best version of who I'd hope to feel at the end of a day when I'm by myself it's when I've created dissonance between this identity that we have you know, established and the actions that I've taken. And so yeah. just trying to reduce that gap between, hey, I've said that I'm this person. So if I'm this person, then I don't do these things. Right. Eliminate the chance for that shame, that guilt, that resent, the, the loathing or, or the confidence that might be compromised from even coming up in my life. I am here for it. Talk a, a little bit about Badass Habits. This is the new book. Uh, this is something that, man, habits have just become so important in my life. I don't know that people necessarily have an appreciation for how much of what we do every single day is governed by habits that we are unconsciously just living in a loop on. But I love anything and everything around how habits can fundamentally transform who you are and how you show up in the world. Talk a little bit about the, uh, the book, what was the catalyst for writing it, and what you hope mm. people to get from it. Well, I, I was sort of basing it on that saying, our thoughts create our beliefs, our beliefs create our words, our words create our habits, and our habits create our realities. And I feel like you are a badass, you're a badass every day, you're a badass at making money, like all that stuff was really mindset and action-oriented, but very, very good on mindset. And I was like, all right, bitches, we're going to get into the habits now because that's the next in line. And also, as I said, I was really excited to, to wake people up to the fact that your mindset is a habit. So really, I mean, what, 90% of everything we think and do are, is habitual. 
And the other thing I was really excited to do in this book was offer sort of a 21-day course. So you you read the book and you get all the understanding around habits down. And then I walk you through a course because I am a coach at the end of the day and I want you to get some results. So I was really excited to have people start putting into practice everything we talk about in the book while you're reading the book. So you don't just read the whole book, have a deeper understanding of habits, and then you know go back to your old ways. So I was super excited about the course aspect too. Uh, I love that. Knowledge is power. No, applied knowledge is power. And yes. so the idea, right, of actually giving yeah. people the instrument, but then also taking them through how to apply the instrument. So important. Will you say again, just the, the four things, your beliefs? Yeah, your beliefs. And believe me, I've heard this in all different orders, but your beliefs become your thoughts. Your thoughts become your words. Your words become your habits and your habits become your realities. Gosh, that's good. I yeah. mean, if we can stay connected to that, forget mm-hmm. it. That is how you uh-huh. fundamentally change your life. That's how you show up the way that you'd hope to. Understanding the connected nature, sticky tissue that exists between each of them, forget it. That's everything. Right. So in the new book, uh, as much as you talk about habits, you also talk about the power of ritual when it comes mm-hmm. to building effective habits. We talk just a little bit about this idea of ritual because I am, man, I'm here for routine. I believe in a sequence every single morning to engineer the kind of day I'm hoping to have. Mm-hmm. Somewhat similar to ritual, but talk just a little bit about the power of ritual. I love ritual because I feel like ritual is a pause and it is a setting of intention, which I think we blow past all the time in our frantic everyday lives. And it's in that pause. The pause is everything. If we can just pause before we speak, gosh, I would personally love to get really good at that. (laughs) You know, pause before we explode into road rage, you know, just the pause, the pause, the mighty pause. And I feel like ritual helps us strengthen that pause muscle and also strengthen our intention muscle. So when you, if you have a ritual of lighting a candle before you meditate, it not only can help you focus where you set your eyes, but it's, it's pausing and it's being like, all right, this is a big fat deal. I am going to connect with the almighty universe right now and I'm taking it seriously. Or if you have a ritual where when you sit down to write, you make a cup of tea first and that cup of tea is, is that intention setting of, all right, I'm showing up to write. I am here. I can do this. It just pulls us out of reaction mode where we constantly keep reacting the same way and put us into respond mode where we are responsible for our actions and really intentional. And I just, I just love it. I'm just turning in my next book and I (laughs) regale name drop uh, the experience of having had a few different times in my life, in my past life, uh, having meetings with Oprah Winfrey and she Every single time started a meeting with the exact same question, and it was, what is the intended outcome of this meeting? And so few times we walk into a room, does someone actually ask the question or declare up front what the intended outcome is? But that pause, it's the same kind of pause here, is the difference between hoping that something will actually come from it and actually doing the work of being intentional and setting what you'd hope to have happen I've, I've, I've talked about the difference between a thermostat and a thermometer, right? The thermostat is something you set the temperature to. A thermometer is something that reacts to the temperature mm-hmm. and the choice of being the thermostat, right? Irrespective of the temperature of the room, <laughs> what are you hoping to have as the temperature that is set rather than reacting to the room, the conversation, the online comment, whatever it might be, 
if you can stay connected to who you'd hope to be and how you'd hope to have an outcome actually come forward, that's, that's intention. And I love the idea of ritual around intention as well, because if we're not taking that beat, it's just not going to hopefully happen in, in, without mm. actually planning for what you'd hope that outcome to be. Oh, so good. Yeah. You've talked a bit about source energy, which is something that I will admit, anything around energy, because of, I think, having grown up inside of a religious household, I've always had a little bit of a, oh my goodness, what is this? What is this idea of energy? I don't know what this is, but source energy is something that I think is an important concept for every listener to understand. Will you give just a little bit of what you mean by that and how important it is? Well, I was really grouchy about it in the beginning as well. (laughs) (laughs) And I am so grateful that I got over it because I feel like I've gotten in on the ultimate magic trick. You know, we are come on, people, we're on a ball in infinite space right now. Let's just start there. Okay. So why not have some kind of, and what, what is all this anyway, this cartoon of life? Who's to say that there isn't energy out there, right? And I think the more that you open yourself to the possibility of the unseen and the more you respect it and nourish it and strengthen your relationship with it and you start getting results that's when you get over your grouchiness and your disbelief. And, you know, and I'll just sort of compare it to intuition, right? Animals, animals use it all the time. My dog knows when I'm out of town and I'm coming home, my dog sitter is always like, yeah, he's been sitting by the window for 24 hours, staring at it, waiting for you to come in. Like, it's real. Animals use it all the time. They don't question it. They don't get crouchy about it. Birds fly halfway around the world based on you know their intuition and knowing how to do that type of stuff. So, so I think as a human being with our you know fancy thumbs and our and our consciousness to be able to employ you know what we've got in our toolkits to to nourish this relationship with the unseen. Wow, what an opportunity. You know, our consciousness is, is the very thing that often makes us not believe it because we want logic, we want proof, we want, you know, t- tangible things. And it also is a thing that allows us to go deeper because we can consciously meditate, we can consciously breathe, we can consciously take that pause. So it's yeah. so exciting. Well, I, I, part of what I loved about badass is that, you know, like making someone a believer in themselves in some ways is an invitation to trust intuition. Because I think there is this like part of our humanity that almost tries to suppress or push back because mm-hmm. of a string of limiting beliefs that we have or some societal construct that we live inside of that makes us not want to actually listen to that voice. And when you actually are able to connect to it and welcome it and follow it because of it having some higher power calling, some universe connected, energy connected calling that actually knows before you do consciously of what you need. Now you can follow that trail of breadcrumbs and unlock something that if you don't listen to it, you will never ever have access to. I just, I love the, I'm very much a Going from thinking you might to knowing you can will fundamentally change your life kind of Mm -hmm. person. But the belief that I can is something that is about connecting to intuition and not so much the presence of evidence. Exactly. And that's exactly what throws us off is the presence of evidence. There's a great line, oh gosh, in that book, The Science of Getting Rich by Wallace Waddles. You know, it it was my Bible when I was learning how to make money. 
but he says something along the lines of, um, to think something is to think the truth regardless of appearances. So I just, that just makes my hair stand up. To think something is to think the truth regardless of appearances. Like our senses and what we see in front of us, and I'm living in a garage and driving a car with no grill. I have 40 years of proof that I can't make money, but I decided to think I could regardless of those appearances. And that's what set me free. By the so, way, though, I, I just love that. I love it too. But I think part of the power in it is if you believe that you can't, if you believe that you won't, that evidence will present itself every single day. The hypothesis that you have will be confirmed in mm-hmm. what you observe. And the converse is exactly true as well, which is if you believe that you can, those signs that you can will also present themselves in a way that creates momentum, belief, confidence, and a, you know, like a connectedness to you being on the right track. So it does, in, in, a, in a large way, come down to just making the decision to believe it so that you can see the evidence present itself as you go on the search for it. Well, and the thing is, once we decide to believe something different, whether or not we fully believe it, I really think that's such an important distinction to make. Like, I didn't 100% believe I could make money. I was like, uh, okay, but you know, I decided to believe. So the decision to believe is really more important. And what that does is, You've got proof all around you of both things being possible. You've got opportunities all around you to make either one of those things true, right? I can or I can't. When you make the decision to say I can, you start to open up and see all of the opportunities and the proof that you can. And when you decide you can't, you open yourself up, you close yourself off from seeing all those opportunities. Because I wrote this whole thing in my book about how humans need to be right and we really need to prove that I can't make money, I haven't been able to in 40 years, blah, 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 here's all my proof. But when I shift that, I, I start to prove the opposite because I need to be right because I'm on a ball in infinite space and I need some kind of proof of my reality. <laughs> the good side of ego, the necessity yes. of being right, which yes. is great, yeah. but also like to your point, if you choose that this is the thing, your, your brain on an unconscious level will look for connections to make it right, to make exactly. it, which, I, which is yep. amazing. Uh, yep. So 2020 for every single human being who's listening, huge pivot year, lots of unexpected things. Curious how the experience of the experience of 2020 affected how you've approached work, how you approached writing, how you've thought differently about the tools that you are trying to deploy to the universe because of what we now have is confirmation that the world will not actually ever be inside of our control and things are going to show up that are going to throw us completely off course. Well, full disclosure, I kicked and screamed and begged my publisher to let me off the hook for writing badass habits during the pandemic. <laughs> I like, I can't, I can't even lift up my arms. How am I going to type? So I had, I just didn't think I could do it. And they were like, well, you know, just try like, just, you know, whatever. Luckily, I got over myself. I did write it. And I am so grateful that I wrote it during the pandemic because I feel like, you listen, people have had their entire lives, you know, so many people are up against gigantic challenges, horrible sadness and loss and all the stuff. But I do, there, I do know that there are silver linings in this time as well. And I think for me personally, one of the most beautiful gifts of this time is the slowing down. 
is the disruption of the distractions and the and the day-to-day habits and the just sort of being on autopilot in ways that weren't serving me and really having this time to go inward and be quiet and reflect and man I've been I've been really greedy about this time I have to say like just yeah having a lot more alone time and not running around. I love to travel, but I haven't been traveling. And it's just, there's just, it's been painful and, you know, claustrophobic, but it's also been really beautiful and such a gift. And so that's sort of, and I I do believe I put more things in badass habits that may not have made their way in. And the tone of the book probably would be, would have been different if I hadn't had this deepening of my own personal experience and the time to reflect the way I did. I feel the same way. I, like, I would have never asked for the string of things that happened in this last year, separate from everything that we're all going through. I'm going through a divorce. There's just a whole host of things. And it has been unbelievable for forcing a slowdown, connecting to God, having more time with my kids, and has been a massive gift in the creative process because inside of hard things, I'll tell you what, creativity, it flows. The next thing that I put out in the world is going to be the best by far in part because of how hard it was, the conditions inside of which the creation was being created. I'm here for it. You have obviously had crazy success happen where I'm sure you had the hope to become rich. You had the hope to impact people and the kind of thing that happened in the explosive nature, even if it didn't take off immediately, I will guess, and maybe I shouldn't assume this, is beyond something that you could have totally held at the time that you were creating the work. How do you, how do any of us, find a way after we've had success or fear of what happens after success to continue to create? Like, Was there pressure for you to follow up, mm-hmm. badass? Is there uh, momentum or wind in sails because of the kind of success? Mm-hmm. I yep, want to create and have huge success. I've had plenty of it. And yet I've found myself coming out of success, somewhat hesitant that the expectations of what previously mm-hmm. has been may follow me in an expectation of what will be. At different times, it's been very different. This, this, per, this particular moment in time is very different. But I will say, after the success of You Are a Badass, when I put out You Are a Badass at Making Money, I was literally frozen. I was like... It was number one on the New York Times list. Like, how the hell am I going to do it again? I've got nothing left to say. I said it all already. I'm going to be a caricature of myself. My stories are going to land flat because I'm trying too hard. I literally, there was a moment where I was lying face down in my gravel driveway in my robe sobbing (laughs) (laughs) because I just couldn't do it. And then dragged my ass to the chair and wrote the damn book. So so there, I, I put a lot of pressure on myself. I put it there. My publisher couldn't be more delightful. You know, whatever. That was all me. And now this time, so this is the Badass Habits is a fourth book in the series. And what I'm feeling now is I, and it's, and it's fine, and I actually am loving this moment, but I'm really kind of at a loss as to what I want to do next. And it's a beautiful place to be. I'm not, you know, but I'm really just like doing the crossword puzzle and watching birds and, to, and you know, taking walks. I, I am like, and I also just finished the book. So I know you know what that's like. I mean, it's, you get, I always get a little postpartum. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're just like, so it's like, I literally just finished it a couple of months ago. They did it at high speed publishing, you know, getting it out in time. So, so I'm still recovering and celebrating that book. So I'm in that kind of in-between space right now. Yeah. It's funny. I had a great idea for a next book about Mm -hmm. three quarters of the way through this book. Of course. Now that I've turned this in, I'm like, 
I cannot start working on something else today. I got to finish editing this dang thing before I can even turn my attention to what's next. Forget about it. So as a coach, I I have myself tried to ask this question of the people that are inside of my coaching community that I want to ask you. And that is, what are the questions that your students aren't asking that they should be asking? Like, what do you want to hear from someone at the beginning of the journey that would make you sit up and say, this person is going somewhere because they're asking this right question? Or is there a question that you wish people were asking as they start this discovery of self and journey of becoming that they aren't currently asking? Wow, that's a goodie. <laughs> Gosh, you know, I, I, I will say anybody who I've coached who's really available never lets me down. Like I, I would say as, as somebody who, you know, a lot of us think we're really coachable and we aren't. So I would say if, if you, if you want to be coachable, the questions you should be asking are, what can I do differently? How did I create this? How can I create something new? You know, it, it's more, it really is about taking responsibility for everything in your life and being available to do this, the thing that scares you the most. That, that really is, you know, I talk in all my books a lot about the difference between deciding to change your life and wanting to. And so what happens to a lot of us is we fake decide where we've made the decision until it gets too scary or you get, you know, you're at risk of looking like an idiot or it gets too expensive, right? Then all the, the justifiable excuses come in and somebody who's really ready to be coached is, is just like not looking for excuses. They're looking for ways to get that money, ways to like contact that person. You know, yeah. it's, so that, that really is the difference in there, I'd say. Yeah. My, for, I've, what I've seen is the inability for someone to be hyper self-aware, like really, truly honest about where they are. That's mm-hmm. the first barrier to actually mm-hmm. having an ability and capacity for growth. And the second big thing is, not being totally honest about the fear that you will have to traverse to get to a vision for where you want to go and and like pulling that fear into your consciousness so that you can actually address it doesn't make it go away but it allows you to walk with courage or confidence through that valley of fear into that unknown but a lot of people are just unwilling to even acknowledge what they're most afraid of what they're actually scared of if they if they were to i actually think they'd see how Either A, most of those fears aren't even real, and if they were to come to pass, would actually be a gift and not a curse. But sure. that separately, the, the decision to choose to stay inside of the suffering that we know is about familiarity. And the, like the yeah. nervousness that people have often ends up being about the worry of what new will feel like, even if it could be new that saves their life. Totally. Yeah. So if listeners go and pick up your latest book, they read it, what changes should they expect in their lives? I want you to give just a couple of like very practical, why should someone buy Badass Habits? I mean, I know why, (laughs) but uh, in your own words. Because it has an awesome story about me being six foot one at the age of 14 and being forced to play basketball. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, so the, the identity thing that we were talking about in the beginning um, I also put an entire chapter about boundary setting in, which, oh my God, I don't know how old you are, but the second I hit 50, I was like, oh my God, this is so much easier. And wow, does it change my life? Like my dad said, you know, I don't know if you get older and wiser or just older and more tired. And I was like, oh my God, that's genius because I'm too tired not to have good boundaries. I can't like say yes to everything and try and control everybody's lives. You know, it's it's such a gift. And so I was really excited to share my age one wisdom 
with younger folks so that everybody could get good at setting boundaries. And I almost wrote the whole book on boundaries, even though I decided to do a habits book, but I was so grateful when I realized, my God, if you're going to have good habits, you better be good at setting boundaries because- So real. Yeah, right? So that chapter I'm super excited about. And also, again, the 21-day breaking down the habits thing. And the thing that I love about the the 21-day course is that not only do you start implementing everything you've learned in the book and as well as new things, it's almost like it helps you get into the habit of the habit because you get into the habit of every day being like, okay, what's day three say? I'm on day three of my habits. So it's sort of like an accountability buddy that shows up every day as you're getting your habit in place. And, you know, and, and I, I don't think habits take 21 days to, you know, lock in, but I love three weeks. I just think three weeks is such a great amount of time. It's long enough, but it's not too long. So that's love it. Love it. All right. So if someone does not yet follow you, they don't know where to find this resource. I mean, what, what's your hand, what are your handles? Where do you live on the interwebs? What, <laughs> if someone wants to dive deeper into, into your work and why the heck would they not want to, where do they go? JenSincero.com is a great spot to start. So it's J-E-N-S-I-N-C-E-R-O.com. I'm also Jen Sincero on Instagram. I'm kind of lame on Facebook and Twitter. So, and you are a badass.com will get you to my website as well. Awesome. All right. Last question I would like to ask the thing I ask every guest who comes onto the Rise Together podcast, and that is, can you share one piece of advice, one takeaway, could be an idea, a question, an actionable thing they could do in their day-to-day that would leave them with peace, with hope, with a belief in self? What would you have that one thing for our listeners be today? Easy question. Peace and hope. Well, I don't think this is peace and hope, but I'm going to say it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I think if you want to, if you really have made the decision to change your life, you have got to scare yourself on a regular basis, if not every single day. Like if you are really, really signing up to transform your one and only shot at being the you that is you on planet earth, which is a big deal, do something that scares the crap out of you every single day and your life will change so fast you won't know it hit you. I love it. Jensen Chiro, everybody, please take off your hats, rise and shine. Give God the glory. Glory. Thank you for being here today, Jen. I appreciate you so much. If you, listener, enjoyed this episode and how in the world could you not have, please take a picture of the device that you are listening to it on right now. Put it up on social media. Tag Jen. Tag myself. Share it with literally every human being that you have ever met in your entire life and tell them one thing, tell the universe one thing that you got out of this episode between now and then. In the words of Jen, go out and scare yourself every single day. Thank you, Jen, for being here. Thank you so much for having me. This was a delight. Excellent. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll see you next week on another episode of the Rise Together podcast. Rise Together is hosted by me, Dave Hollis. This show is produced by Chelsea Harfouche and edited by Andrew Weller with production support by Sterling Coates. Cameron Berkman is our executive producer. Rise Together is a product of The Hollis Company.